What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all that listen to This Week in Sports? This is episode 142. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. I want to apologize. Last week, actually, before I do that, it is Friday, June 25th, 2021. It's a beautiful Friday, about 75 degrees here on the East Coast in Jersey. Um, I do want to apologize, though. Last week, I did not have an episode because it was my cousin's wedding on Friday. Um, So she got married, and I wasn't able to do an episode. I was going to maybe do it Saturday, I thought about it, but then I didn't really have much um, time, and I had a headache, and I slept late on Saturday morning. So I do want to apologize for that. Um, What I will say, though, is I did win uh, 93 bucks. I threw 100 bucks down on the Sixers at the wedding, minus three, and they won by four. It was a little bit close, but uh, they got the job done. Um, A missed free throw late almost cost me if they hit a three-pointer towards the end, and then it would have been a bad beat where they won by only two instead of the four. But um, it worked out. So maybe they they won by five, whatever it was. Uh, So anyway... I've only bet like three times since Friday. I'm up like 118 bucks. I lost last night 25 bucks on the bucks. They had an odds boost at um, plus 100. They're doing it again tonight in game two. So I threw another 25 to hopefully win that money. And I'm looking forward to the weekend because I hope everybody's looking forward to the weekend because um, I'm playing golf tomorrow with my brothers and my sister-in-law. And this should be fun because me and my brother, Joe, we always play with my dad and his wife. And we haven't played with my other brother who used to play golf um, and hasn't played in years. And there's a lot of smack talk going around. And as I'm doing this podcast right now, I have on the iPad in my background because my TV is to the side of me. So it's not really a good setup here. But I have on the iPad, I have Vanderbilt and NC State College World Series. I'll get into this a little bit more uh, a bit later. But this game was delayed. NC State has some COVID uh, issues. And I believe these two teams played already, and NC State won one to nothing. So um, this is um, supposed to be a very good game, but this game was delayed an hour because of COVID issues, and there was some controversy that just happened in this game. Both coaches came out. They're arguing something. Um, the NC State coach is swearing the ball hit the third base bag or something to that effect. I don't really know what happened. But right now it's 0-0, bottom two. NC State is up at bat. And now we seem to have another issue with a bat. Um, Players up at bat right now, and there's some sort of issue. I don't know if the bat slipped out of his hands. I I don't know what's going on. He seems to have tape over the uh, grip of the bat, um, which is really weird because with batting gloves and and whatnot, these metal bats, this isn't like uh, major leagues or pro ball where you need sticky... uh, stuff like pine tar on on the bats. I don't know what's going on. There's no sound. Vanderbilt coach is super heated. He's turning red in the face here, but it's College World Series. This is an elimination game for Vanderbilt, and they need this one. So without further ado, let's just jump right in and, and let's rip the Band-Aid off. You all know what I'm talking about. We got to get to my Brooklyn Nets losing in a Game 7 thriller. I don't want to spend too much time on this because this was a while ago now. But um, Kevin Durant is otherworldly. I don't care about anything 
any slander or hate for him going to the Warriors and him turning into a super team uh, guy and, and forming all these big threes and whatnot. He is the best player on any team that he has ever gone to, and he proved it. It was one against five because nobody was helping KD, and he hit a shot that was basically heard around the world for about five minutes when he tied the game. They were down by four late with under a minute. They got it within two, and then KD hit the turnaround. Could have been a three if his feet, he joked, weren't so big. A lot of people were saying that, but his feet were just on the line, and it ends up being a two instead of a three. The Nets go to overtime, and they lose because Joe Harris couldn't hit a three on a kickout on a Brooke Lopez block on Durant, and then Durant similarly tried to do another step-back three to win the game, essentially, and he just ran out of gas, and he played every minute of the game. He passed to Harden, then Harden sort of passed it back. He's like, I don't want any part of this. So, you know, the Nets end up losing this, and like I said, I don't want to harp too much on it, but I do want to play a clip from Stephen A. Smith on basically why the Nets lost. This is, I think it's a little over a minute long, but this is interesting. He goes through his list of five reasons why, but this is basically him talking about the number one reason why he has Joe Harris on there. Steve Nash is number two, um, the injuries and, and such to Harden and Kyrie, but his number one reason on why the Brooklyn Nets lost to the Milwaukee Bucks. And coaching clearly was an issue, but it doesn't eclipse number one. Give it to me right here. Karma. Oh, Why? Wow. Get out of here. Oh. Listen to this, Max. Stay with me. James Harden, love him. But wanted out of Houston. Came into camp out of shape. Came into the season out of shape. You think that didn't have something to do with the hamstring injury? You ultimately incurred? Absolutely. I brought up coaching at number two, right? Remember, Kyrie Irving is quoted as saying at the beginning of the season, we don't really need coaching. Guess what? Kyrie, you were thinking about you. What about the other players that we're going to need to produce? Better coaching might have had those other dudes ready to help Kevin Durant in a game seven. Then you, Kyrie Irving, you missed some games. You took a couple of weeks off. You took off whenever you wanted. That didn't send the right message to the team. Blake Griffin, you didn't show up in Detroit. You stole money from the Detroit Pistons. You didn't want to play basketball. You didn't even dunk in two years until you arrived at Brooklyn, okay? This kind of stuff ultimately comes back to bite you. That's what happened to the Brooklyn Nets. That is why they're home right now. If they were together, if they were committed, if they put in that work constantly, day in and day out, not just as coaches, but as players, you would have been more together. Karma wouldn't have been against you, and you'd be in the Eastern Conference right now. These are my five reasons why the Brooklyn Nets are home watching the playoffs with the rest of us. My apologies to KG, KD, because good God, he was sensational. So very interesting uh, set of um, circumstances that unfolded for the Brooklyn Nets this season. Everybody said that if this big three doesn't gel, doesn't get time on the court, they don't see them winning, and lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. And I know he, you know, um, Stephen A. is a Knicks fan, and he's a little salty that they, these guys didn't come to the Knicks, but he does have a valid point. Um, they're looked upon as like villains now, and it is a huge failure that they didn't win. And he has a point. As a Brooklyn Nets fan, I am disgusted and pissed off. And I know for a fact that if this team was healthy, there's no chance that they lose. But you, you do have to wonder because he's right. 
Harden came into camp out of shape with the Rockets because he forced himself out of there. Did that play a role in his hamstring injury 40-something seconds into game one of this series where then he comes back in game four, or excuse me, game five. Kyrie goes down with the injury in game four, and they're not the same. And the fact that they didn't have these guys all year long just proved to be an issue. But, so I get where he's coming with the karma. I will just say one final thought. I need to know, I I need an answer as to why DeAndre Jordan did not play a single minute in the playoffs. Because throughout the season, okay, DeAndre Jordan, yes, he's very limited, and this new type of uh, ball in the league is small ball, and and Mike D'Antoni, his influence, where you just play uh, offense and you don't play any defense and you score 140 points, but you end up you end up losing the game. That's Mike D'Antoni's offense. That's his team. He never has won a championship. He had Steve Nash and Stoudemire and Sean Marion and those boys and Rajah Bell, and they could never win a championship. Why? Because they never play defense. And so that's exactly what you saw in these series. Although my dad liked to argue with me that the Nets played no defense. No, the Nets held the the Milwaukee Bucks to 89 points one game and 86 points the other game. The reason the Brooklyn Nets lost this series is because of Game 3. If you look back at any game, it is Game 3, where it was a sloppy game. The Nets were winning late in the game. They had, it was 86 to whatever, 84 or whatever it was. And the uh, the Bucks went on a run at home, and they ended up winning that game 89-86. KD tried to fade away, falling sort of out of bounds from the corner for a three to tie it, and it went in and out and the Nets lost that game, but they did have a lead with under two minutes left, and they ended up losing it. So if you point to any game, it's that one. But what bothers me is the fact that Milwaukee's uh, rebounding. They had Lopez, you know, Bobby Portis played here and there, Giannis, all these guys, they were rebounding, and they were, you, you had nobody. You had Blake Griffin, and that was it. And Nick Claxton played very limited in this series. And I And I take it back to after they beat the Celtics in the first series. I don't remember who said it on either ESP. One of the shows, somebody said that ex- you should expect to see more of DeAndre Jordan in this second series. Maybe it was Mark Jackson or Mike Breen or Van Gundy or one of these guys, right? Or somebody on TNT like a Charles Barkley or Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet or, or uh, Shaq or somebody said it. Maybe Ernie Johnson. I don't know. But um, have I named everybody yet? Honestly. But. The fact was, I thought the same thing. Because of Milwaukee's length compared to Boston, you figured to see the bigs a little more. You figured to see um, DeAndre Jordan. You're paying him all this money. He's all best friends with these guys. That's why you brought him in. But when you see DeAndre Jordan play in the regular season, although he's an older player, he can hit his foul shots. He's not great, but he's, he, he's better than Giannis's air balls. And he's a freaking alley-oop machine and a rebounding machine. And he puts up dunks and, you know, it's ridiculous that this guy didn't play a single minute. Not even to give some of these guys a break. Blake Griffin played his tail off, you know, going up against a bigger Giannis. He did everything he could, taking, you know, elbows to the jaw and drawing charges, um, which they should have called a lot more than they, they that they truthfully did. He led the league in, in, in charges taken. And then, you know, I thought the, the uh, ref refs were awful in the series, you know, both ways, and especially in the last couple of games. But I just think it was ridiculous that DeAndre Jordan doesn't play. And even in the regular season, you'd see a lot of DeAndre Jordan in the first half and then just 
nothing in the second half, that would have been okay because that would have taken minutes away, you know, helped eat up those minutes so guys are, are, are you know, not as tired late in the game so Blake Griffin can give you more later in the game. And you could spell some, you know, Kevin Durant a little bit here and there. And it, it gives more offensive rebound so you could kick out, you know, kick outs to Shamit, kick outs to Joe Harris. Listen, Joe Harris was brutally bad in this series. He had a chance for redemption, like I said, on that last second, you know, overtime shot that would have, you know, given the Nets the lead there. And then maybe they win that game. But they didn't help Joe Harris. Joe Harris is second best in the league, I think he was, or first. He led the league in three-point percentage. But he was, I believe, second in catch-and-shoot threes made behind, um, uh, oh, my God, behind the guy on, on, the, um, uh, on, the, uh, on the Miami Heat. Um, drawing a blank. I don't know why. But anyway, the Nets didn't help Joe Harris. Set, they didn't set screens so he could get around and catch and shoot. A lot of Joe Harris's threes where he was having to take a dribble handoff and then like come around a screen and, and maybe dribble once and try to get up a shot. You know, it was still tight coverage. There wasn't any of these wide open looks. When he did get some wide open shots in transition or something, kickouts from from Durant, he did make a couple of those. So I, that's the one thing I will say. I'm not going to put it on Joe Harris's shoulders because it's not solely on him. And I do put a lot of blame on Nash and company. I, maybe it wasn't Steve Nash. Maybe it was somebody else. But it's inexcusable, excuse me, that DeAndre Jordan didn't even play a single minute in the playoffs when you're paying him all this money. And now I've got the hiccups on a podcast. So this is just brutal. Um, I will say on record before we move on to the Hawks and Sixers series, before I, you know, wrap this up, I will say and go on record, there's no doubt in my mind, 100%, this is episode 142 of This Week in Sports. It is June 25th, 2021. I have the utmost confidence in going on the record and saying the Brooklyn Nets will win a championship next year. It is a foregone conclusion, okay? There is no doubt in my mind Everybody in the world wanted to see Nets-Lakers this year. That is not happening. We need to make that happen next season so we can put to bed this conversation or this notion that LeBron James is better than Kevin Durant. I heard it all morning long on, um, on ESPN Radio with DCR that LeBron James is better than Kevin Durant there's no doubt in my mind Kevin Durant is a better player than LeBron James. When all said and done, LeBron James will not have the same number of championships. He will not have, I mean, he's got more losses than practically anybody in the finals. LeBron is a great player. They're two different players, but Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer of all time. 6'11", plays like a point guard, can dribble, can shoot, um, can score against anybody. When he needed to, Kevin Durant scored 48 points twice, okay? He is a god amongst men, all right? And yeah, LeBron James is good, and I put a lot of hate on LeBron James, but I want a, a, a player that can shoot a basketball. I think it's pathetic for the game and embarrassing for the game of basketball that Giannis Antetokounmpo has won two MVPs and the guy is at the free throw line taking 12 seconds. By the way, they never called it. The Brooklyn crowd was uh, announcing it uh, as each second went by and they still never called it. 
he got it called twice on him um, in, in two series thus far, uh, once in, in the Miami series and then in, in like game two or three against the Nets, it was called once. And then he shot two air balls in, in game seven, two air balls from the free throw line. That's pathetic that an MVP is shooting air balls. I don't remember Shaquille O'Neal ever shooting, you know, air balls, although I know he has, but it, it, it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal. He's, you know, scared to shoot, doesn't shoot threes. I just don't like, LeBron's not scared to shoot, but down the stretch of games, he's always passing and and, and they lose games because of it. They also win because of it too, but I, I just think they're two of the greatest players of all time, but when it comes down to it, I, I just think one-on-one, I don't think LeBron could stop Kevin Durant and, um, you know, I think Kevin Durant's length could, could bother LeBron because he's going to settle for some jump shots. And and so at the end of the day, I'm sorry. I do think Kevin Durant is a better player. And Scottie Pippen, he had some words. Uh, I mean, I'm going to save this for later because I've got it pulled up uh, in Safari, the exact quote. But my God, as Stephen A. Smith would say, what in the hell was Scottie Pippen doing? But um, we're about 17 minutes in and we've got to move on and get to Sixers Hawks. Who would have thought that the Atlanta Hawks, after beating the New York Knicks, would come into Philly in a Game 7 and win? Nobody, nobody thought that would happen. I especially didn't think that was going to happen. The Hawks were like 7-point underdogs. I did not bet this game because I didn't feel confident. I wasn't going to bet the Sixers yet again. And my, my, my gut feeling was to take the Hawks at plus 7. And that would have been, you know, that was like the easy move. Um, so if I was going to bet, I would have bet that because the minus three of the last game that I bet and won was too close for comfort. So I did not appreciate that them putting me in that boat where I'm at a wedding literally screaming, you know, over $100. It wasn't going to kill me if I lost the money. But, um, yeah, the Hawks, they came into Philly and they got it done stunning that Philly crowd. And I don't know that Ben Simmons can ever recover from uh, what what he experienced. I really don't. Um, and it was absolutely inexcusable for what Ben Simmons did in those final, uh, really the whole series. But I'm trying to find it because I was texting my dad back and forth about how bad the, um, how bad Ben Simmons was. Let me see. Hold on. I'm going to find it. It was so bad that you wouldn't even believe what I said. Okay, here we go. Uh, I had it. Okay, hold on. I had it here, but where'd it go? Okay. Ben Simmons took three shots in seven fourth quarters of this entire series, of the Sixers and Hawks series. He took three shots in games four, five, six, and seven in the fourth quarter. He took zero, zero shots. That is inexcusable. I mean, there is, I, I mean, I don't even know how that's possible, to be perfectly honest. And, and I don't know where you go from here. I'm watching ESPN just before, and Brian Windhorst is saying it doesn't look like they're going to trade him because that's what everybody's been screaming for is, oh, they got to trade him for C.J. McCollum now, and him and MB don't get along. They're saying that's not what his agent is doing. They're calling up Philly, trying to work things out, see what he can work on. Um, Stephen A. said he has a source close to the Sixers that says he's lazy, he doesn't work hard, and he's been babied by his family. 
I mean, wow. Um, but again, I'm a shooter. I want somebody that can shoot. I think it's pathetic that we've been drafting number one picks, Markel Fultz, okay, Lonzo Ball, um, who went second, um, Ben Simmons, guys that literally look like they've never shot a basketball in their lives. That's why I don't even joke when I say this. I am as dead serious as you can be. If I was 6'8", or 6'6", six, six, or even 6'4", I would be in the NBA. There's no doubt in my mind because I am an absolute shooter. I mean, I'm not a bragger. I can shoot a basketball as good as pretty much anybody. Catch and shoot, put me in a three-point contest. I will beat just about anybody. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. I appreciate somebody that can shoot a basketball, and I've practiced countless hours. It doesn't look like these guys have ever practiced shooting a basketball. They just go to these, you know, tournaments. And now with baseball, they they have these showcases where it's all about the measurables. And, oh, my God, Ben Simmons is a 6'8 or 6'10 point guard, and he could facilitate and, and, and rebound and dunk and, and all the flashy stuff that really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. You need a point guard in today's NBA that can shoot a basketball Ben Simmons was so scared to dunk the ball in the fourth quarter of this game that he passed it because he didn't want to get fouled and go to the free throw line. This is embarrassing. And now Brian Windhorst is on ESPN talking about how Ben Simmons' agent, they're talking about maybe switching him to be a right-handed shooter. If you are at the age, if you're at whatever, Ben Simmons, how old is Ben Simmons? He's being paid a boatload of money, $144 million, whatever it is. He's, what, 26 maybe, 24, whatever he is at this point in his life. If you need to change the way you shoot a basketball, I am so sorry, but that is impossible. There's We've taught, we've heard of Tristan Thompson at the free throw line. He shoots right-handed instead of left-handed now. Like, that's one thing which I still think is, 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 is embarrassing. If you need to change up your, your, your shot, from left-handed to right-handed, you're so far gone down the rabbit hole that there is no, you're so far gone, there is no digging you out. There is zero chance that you can be an NBA player if right now in your fourth, fifth, whatever year he is in the NBA, there is zero chance that you can win a championship if you decide right now, this summer, that you're going to work on changing your form and shoot opposite hand impossible impossible there's it's not happening it is not happening so doc rivers good luck um he was asked whether or not he saw ben simmons a future for him and to, this is what he had to say doc you think ben simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become yeah david i don't know that question or the answer to that right now um you know so i don't know the answer to that yeah, um, he doesn't know the answer because he doesn't want to answer it right now. In that moment, after losing Game 7, he probably, along with the rest of the locker room, wants to strangle Ben Simmons because all they needed was from for Ben Simmons to give them a little bit of productivity. And guys like him and Giannis, I say this all, all day long, why do they guard them? beyond the three-point line because all they want is to drive past you anyway and get to the hoop, get to the hoop and dunk it or lay it in. Sit back, relax, and watch them 
literally melt in front of the the I, the thought of shooting a basketball. Giannis not as bad as Ben Simmons because he can he does have the ability to make a mid-range and make a three once in a while, but my goodness, Ben Simmons was bad in this series and he he literally crumbled under the pressure and just could not shoot a basketball, would not do it, and he really was getting benched in, in at the late stages of the, of these games, which is pathetic again when you're paying a guy over 140 million dollars. Here was Stephen A on Ben Simmons. Um wow. This is not a good day for Doc Rivers, number one. No. But having said all of that, I roll with my man, my man Magic Johnson. Ben Simmons has got to go. He's 24 years of age. He's a star talent. Right. And I'm not saying that Ben Simmons should be given up on because he's some scrub or anything like that. It goes to what you pointed out, Magic. I know Philly. Yeah. I worked there for 17 years. I was a columnist for my last time. Let me tell you something right now. That city ain't going to ever forgive him for what they have seen. And here's why. Not just that he missed shots. He didn't take them. Yeah. See, when you see the Greek freak in Milwaukee miss or make, he takes them. Ben Simmons is literally scared to shoot the basketball. He gave up a wide-open dunk because he anticipated he was going to be fouled and didn't want to go to the free-throw line. 34% shooting in the postseason. For anybody who's attempted 70 or more, it's the worst free-throw percentage shooting in the history of basketball. And this is a league Will Chamberlain and Shaquille O'Neal played in. Right. And they shot better for the free-throw line than Ben Simmons. This is very, very bad. And when you take that into consideration, and you combine that with the fact that Philadelphia being a very unforgiving town, and they don't know how to let off and lay off, and they're going to constantly berate him, and it's mental. Yeah. With him, I don't believe he can overcome that, Max. In the city of Philadelphia, you got to move him. I'm going to say it right here on national television. Try and get yourself somebody like C.J. McCollum. Mm -hmm. Bring him to Philly. Send Ben Simmons to Portland. Because with all the perimeter that's guys how, they have in Damian Lillard, it would work. That's how bad his trade value has been diminished. Uh, you know, now it's like, can you get C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons? It was four years, Look, $140 million. Ben So, yeah, um, and that's the other point that I was trying to make. Ben Simmons didn't even take shots. He was so scared he wouldn't even take shots. You could live with maybe if he's shooting Brick City, but the fact that he didn't even attempt shots and was so scared that he would he was passing up dunk opportunities, that shows you everything you need to know there. And like you heard from Stephen A, you got to get rid of him. I don't see I don't see this working out. I think you have got to move on. This whole Joel Embiid trust the process now 5 years later. How's that working out for you? Bounced in the second round of the playoffs by the four seed, or excuse me, five seeded Hawks, no less. All right, now here's what Shaq had to say. He took this a step further. Now, this is Shaquille O'Neal, who was one of the worst free throw shooters in NBA history, who shoots the ball better than Ben Simmons from the free throw line. As you heard, Stephen A, literally the guy is shooting worse than anybody in the history from the free throw line. Um, just ridiculous. Shaq took this a step further, and I, I, I talked to it. I talked about how Doc Rivers is not happy with Ben Simmons. The locker room's not happy with Ben Simmons. Sh this is what Shaq would have done if he was on this team, and he is not joking. This is not a joke. Stop that. Cut it okay. The, it uh, the Atlanta Hawks knocking off the Philadelphia 76ers. He was in my locker room. I would have knocked his ass out. The 96. <laughs> Okay. You well, you I, do what? I ain't laughing. What you mean what? I'll he's in his, his locker room. He, you, you do what? 
I want to hear that, man. Get out of my face with that. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I, yeah. I know he would. I've heard the stories. So there you have it. I don't know the stories that Kenny Smith is talking about, but um, I'm sure things got a little. Listen, it, it, Shaq is a winner, okay? He's won championships with Kobe. If you're a winner and an assassin in the sport that you play, there is no doubt you yell at, and get in arguments and fights with teammates because you're passionate. But at the end of the day, you work it out and you go out there and you fight for each other and you win. And that's what they're lacking in Philly. There's nobody to take the reins. That's why somebody made a good point that Ben Simmons needs a LeBron James. He needs somebody like that to literally, um, basically kick him in the ass and and tell and tell him how it is. Because yeah, it does seem like he's he's got people in his corner that are babying him and that are telling him that it's going to be okay and this and that. And listen, he, I think he needs he needs a, a change of scenery. And it, it happened with Markel Fultz before he tore the ACL. He got better when he went to Orlando. I think he needs out of Philly. He needs a fresh start somewhere in the West. Like, yeah, maybe Portland would be a good idea. Somewhere out of the spotlight. Sacramento, something like that, where he could just re, 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 redefine Ben Simmons' legacy. That's what he needs. Um, as for the Hawks, um, and at, back to Shaq's point, I'm right there with him. I'd have knocked his ass out, too, because... I ain't losing because of this dude and this dude not shooting the basketball and this dude being a number one overall pick. Okay, so just brutal. Um, let's get to some Trey Young because he was phenomenal in this series. The Hawks were friggin' phenomenal in this series as well. Uh, we kept fighting. I just seen, I've been saying it all year. I've been saying it all. All playoffs, we keep fighting. And uh, no matter what the score is, no matter if we're down or we're up, we're always going to fight. And uh, I'm proud of this team. We, we keep fighting. What is that like in the huddles down the stretch when you look up and you're down 20 points at the end of the game and you still have enough confidence in each other? <laughs> like, like I said, we, we have confidence in each other. Um, we're we're a, a great group, great group to be around. Um, we all love each other, love each other's company, and it shows on the court. And uh, we, we never stop believing until the final buzzer goes off. Coach McMillan trusts you implicitly. He says you're calling more, more plays for your team. What's this like down the stretch for you, knowing you're in control of what happens? Uh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's great that I have a coach that, that trusts me and uh, trusts me that I'm going to put our team in the best position to win. And uh, I'm still learning. I still have a lot to learn, a lot to get better at. Um, but I feel like right now we're, we're in a good place, and uh, we just got to keep winning and keep keep believing in each other. Congratulations. Thanks for stopping. Appreciate it. Yeah, so there you have it. Trey Young, put some respect on this man's name. 22 years of age. You know, he was getting spit on by Knicks fans. He was getting the old F.U. Trey Young um, treatment at MSG, right? You know, people don't respect his game for the fact that he stops and, and forces contact to get to the free throw line. No, you got to put some respect on this man's uh, name and his game because let's face it Trey Young might not even be six feet tall and he is dominating this sport with his quickness uh, so it is great to see a little guy uh, take off like this and you know him and Luka Doncic I believe those picks were swapped with Dallas and, and Atlanta and both those teams are winners but listen I hate to say it I know Rick Carlisle is gone from 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 uh, Dallas now but there's you know you can't really question if, you know, Luca is better than, than Trey Young. I think you say he is. But listen, right now, 
Luka Doncic is not a point guard. This is a point guard-driven league, and if you don't have a point guard, you cannot win. The Bucks had Drew Holiday, and although he wasn't great, I think that was enough for them to beat the Nets because the Nets, Harden, was not healthy. Therefore, they didn't have a, a great point guard. And the, the other reason the Nets lost probably Drew Holiday from about three minutes in regulation to overtime had five fouls. The Nets couldn't get him fouled out of the game. That was the key. I said you need to foul out Drew Holiday to win this game, and they couldn't do it. So if you have a great point guard, you can go very far in this league. The New York Knicks do not have a great young point guard. Derrick Rose, phenom- what he did this year coming over from the trade was phenomenal. He was their best player in the playoffs. But you need a true young gun point guard, and Trey Young is it right now. Steph Curry is it in Golden State. You need a guy like that. And, you know, a lot of these teams that are still alive have that. You look at the Suns. Who's their point guard? Oh, wow, great, yeah. Yeah, Hall of Famer in CP3, okay? And if you look at the Clippers, although they don't have a true point guard, they have Kawhi Leonard, they have Paul George, they have Rajon Rondo, and guess who has been playing great point guard for them of late is Reggie Jackson shooting lights out and facilitating. So these final four teams that are left, they have point guards, and you can't win without a point guard. So Trey Young, right now, he's the best point guard that's that, that's around, and he's showing why this team is winning. Okay, let's uh, switch things up, get a little bit more serious here. On, what was this, Wednesday maybe? Um, Raiders defensive lineman Carl Nassib, who you guys will remember, he, he rose to fame um, via hard knocks when he was with the Cleveland Browns when he was giving the whole defensive line uh, room, uh, financial advice and everything. I thought he was very hysterical, personable, awesome guy. I didn't, I, you see, I don't know him. I didn't follow the Browns at the time. He was a third round pick. Carl Nassib became the first. He announced this in a, uh, video that he posted to his Instagram page. Okay. He, he became the first active NFL player to come out as gay. If you guys remember back a few years ago, Michael Sam became the first player drafted by the Rams um, in the seventh round. And he lasted, he didn't last very long, but he was the first openly gay player drafted out of Missouri. Well, Carl Nassib decided uh, now is the time. It is Pride Month here in June that he was going to announce this. And um, surprised? No. I mean, we, we knew we'd get, we'd get here eventually. Um, I was shocked when a 16 seed beat a one seed in the NCAA tournament. I, I, I don't know why. My naivety, I, I never thought I would see that happen, or I thought it would take years and years to ever see that happen when, when, um, when Virginia got knocked off by the 16 seed there, um, UMBC. But this, I was more shocked at that than I was this, because you knew there had to be players either past or, or present that, that were gay, um, that didn't want to come out. Now, football is the one sport where it's probably, I would say, toughest um, because you probably spend more time with these guys, with, with these, you know, teammates than ever. Um, but we live in, in a society now that's so open about this stuff, um, LGBTQ plus, you know, rights and, and everything. It's, it's so, you know, it's, it's, it's Pride Month. And 
And, and I, I've been thinking about this. I don't know that, I mean, I'm a little naive to this stuff, but um, I, I've never seen, I don't know how long Pride Month has been a thing, but I don't remember it. I don't even honestly remember it in years past. Like now it is, it, it's so, um, it's so open and out there and everybody's, you know, participating and you, you'll see on, uh, on social media, everybody's putting up their rainbow flags or changing their logos to, to represent pride month, which I'm not necessarily for that stuff because I think it's almost, you know, in essence, it's kind of fake because the second, you know, uh, the calendar turns to July. Now, all of a sudden what companies start, you know, taking away their, their pride flags. And it's like, you, you just go back to, to, to normal. So I, I'm a little confused by that, but, um, no, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that, that he did it. Um, they made a good point. Uh, I'm indifferent about it. You know, it doesn't affect my life. He's got, he's the one that has to live with, you know, he, he's going to get, obviously he knows what comes with this, the responsibility, um, the hatred he's going to get fans are going to be yelling at him on sidelines. So that's going to be, you know, people can be just dis despicable and disgusting. Um, but he, he did say in the post that he will be donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project, which, again, I'm naive to all this stuff. I don't know much about it. Um, but the Trevor Project is an organization focused on crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ youth under the age of 25 because there is a huge suicide rate. There's actually a movie coming out with Mark Wahlberg. I don't know when it's coming out, if it's going to be on streaming or what. I forget the name of it. I just briefly saw a trailer for it, and it looks excellent. It's about a guy, you know, you know maybe Midwestern, you know, blue-collar type guy, and his son is getting bullied. His son is like, his son is gay. He's a cheerleader. This is a true story. He gets made fun of at the football games for being a cheerleader. He gets picked on in the locker room, and the kid ends up like so many of these, you know, teenagers who, if they would just realize that there's so much more to life than, you know, the loser jocks or, or, or the, you know, the idiots that are picking on you in high school because, you know, that's when they peak is in high school and those are their best years. Um, if they realize that there's so much more to life after high school, high school and those teenage years are just such a small portion of life. Um, there's so much more that happens after that. Like you're so young and naive that you don't realize that. So they think, you know, that's why they commit suicide because they can't take you know, all the pressure and, and the bullying, and there's no other way out for them. So uh, this is going to save lives, not only his donation, but him having the courage to come out and speak out about this. So I think it's a good thing for the NFL. Um, John Gruden um, had good words to say about this. I forget the exact quote. They, they said it, and um, it, was, it was a really good one. Let me see if I could find it real quick. Um, he had a, oh, it was really good. Okay, he said, what makes a man different is what makes him great. That, to me, is an awesome, awesome line. Uh, that, that, that is so true. Um, what makes a man different is what makes him great. And, and it's true. Um, Carl Nassib having the courage to come out, uh, that, as a football player in, in a male, you know, uh, an alpha male uh, sport, that, you know, that is what makes him great. He will forever be known as the first openly gay football player 
and he is not some sort of scrub. He's in the midst of a, what, I think he got like a three or four year, 20 plus million dollar contract. So, you know, good for him and good, good for, it's good for the sport. It's good for the world and it's good for everybody. Okay. Um, we're back to baseball and me ranting about how baseball has basically a baseball problem. Well, let's start with Javi Baez, who uh, is one of the great players in Major League Baseball today. Well, Javi Baez was on first base. There was one out, a ball was hit to left field, and Javi Baez started running, and he did not stop, and he rounded second and headed to third, and the ball was caught. And then Javi Baez realized they were throwing the ball back to first base and doubling him off. Because guess what, Javi Baez? There were not two outs, my guy. There, were, there was one out. So, a Major League Baseball player, not just any Major League Baseball player, one of the top baseball players, top 50, maybe top 25, forgot how many outs there were in the game. A professional athlete. So, David Ross, guess what? I give him a lot of credit. He pulled him out of the game. This was the fourth inning, I believe. Pulled him out and benched him. Because, guys, I played baseball through high school, and I don't think I ever in my life didn't know how many outs there were in a game. That is the, this, this is just mind-boggling. This is the, the day and age we live in, in which Major League Baseball players are falling asleep on the base paths because they don't value the steal, they don't value small ball, they don't value running bases. All they want is to get on base and they want the next guy to hit a home run so they can jog home. These players are literally and legitimately forgetting how to play the game, and they're being paid millions upon millions of dollars to forget how to play baseball. And if that wasn't enough, on Tuesday night, okay, just when you think it can't get much worse, listen to what Brett Phillips did for the Rays. So Sal Moore ready. Bounding ball. Devers along the line. Bottles it. Lunges. Gets back to the bag. The runners at first and second on the play. And Phillips has been retired. Where is Phillips? Where is Phillips? What happened to the runner? He is out. What did he do? What is he? What's he doing? On the bobble by Raphael, a little hop there, and he mishandled it. Did he I mean, think he stepped on the bag and stopped? I mean, what? What is what? he doing? Is Let's he watch doing? this. Why are you stopping? What are you doing? You got a man behind oh, you. Oh, my God. I've, got, I've seen it all. I mean, this is acid right here. What is going on? I thought as soon as he bobbled that ball and had to go grab it to get back to the bag, he would be there. We forgot there was a guy behind him. I know. What a break. Wow. Um. So to give you some context about what happened on this play, first and second, Ground ball to third base. Tough, excuse me, tough play. The third baseman bobbles it, right? And it's going to be a bang-bang play at third on who's going to 
you know, is the third baseman going to get the ball and be able to step on third? Because this should have been a routine, like, double play. He could have stepped on third, thrown to first. And guess what happens? Brett Phillips of the Rays starts to sprint with his head down, you know, like he's going hard to third base. As soon as the bobble happens, Brett Phillips stops and sprints back to second base. I kid you not, a Major League Baseball player with first and second and less than two outs, I mean, it doesn't matter how many outs there are, the guy is supposed to, it's a, you have to run. There's no, there's somebody on first. If it was, if there was nobody on first, you could, you could go back. There was somebody on first. It was first and second. You have to run to third. This was going to be a bang, bang play. He could have been safe at third and he instead runs back, is out at third and the Rays who were losing at the time and rallying end up going out and losing this game because of that boneheaded mistake. It is inexcusable what these major league players are being paid and what is happening to this great pastime that is baseball. Baseball is my first love. It's the one sport that I was brought up on, okay, from my dad at a young age, and I respect the game, and I coach it with integrity, and and, and I want to see the game played the right way. I go to numerous, whether it's softball or baseball or I'm watching on, there's no coaching anymore. There's no yelling. There's no benching players anymore. Brett Phillips probably wasn't even benched at the end of this play. This man should not only have been benched, his uh, major league card should have been taken away, meaning he should have been forced to go back to the minor leagues for the rest of the season. They need to do something to fix baseball. And the first thing I'm doing is, is getting rid of Rob Manfred. This man sucks at life. This man has taken baseball and he has ruined it. Okay? Let's talk real quick, sticking with the baseball theme and Rob Manfred. On Monday, okay, give you the little sound sound bite there. On Monday, Rob Manfred and the great minds of Major League Baseball implemented their little sticky stuff rules where the umpires can now check pitchers up to 10 times a game for sticky stuff, okay? Didn't really know how this was going to go. This is kind of a long one, but I want you guys to listen to this. This is umpire Bill Miller, veteran umpire Bill Miller, last weekend on Sunday Night Baseball, Matt Vaskersian, Aaron, uh, Alex Rodriguez, and company, interviewing him for like two minutes, and ex- and he's explaining how this is exactly going to work. So just take a listen to this, because this is extremely important to listen to. Yeah, you know, it's uh, this has been a work in progress. Uh, we've worked with the Players Association and Major League Baseball in order to just clean up the game. Uh, uh, the foreign substance issue is kind of becoming forefront. Uh, pitchers weren't hiding it, and so they've asked us to... Uh, take a greater role. We've always in the past had the managers um, come out and ask the umpire to check the pitcher, but there's been a reluctance on the manager's um, spot on that because they uh, maybe, maybe they don't want their own pitchers checked. So Major League Baseball has asked us to be a little more proactive, and we will be searching. We'll be searching uh, starting pitchers, uh, uh, all, all relievers, uh, and we'll be checking hats, gloves, belts, and it, it won't be 
We're not going to strip search them. We'll just uh, make sure that they don't have any foreign substances on them. Yeah, thanks, Alex, for asking that question, because that's something that we're, we've been concerned with the pace of game, obviously. We don't want to slow it down. Uh, so we are uh, going to be uh, conducting these searches as the pitchers come off the mound. Mm. It'll be somewhere between the foul line and their dugout. Uh, we'll ask for their hat, their glove, uh, potentially their belt. If we notice uh, them on the mound. Uh, I just want to pause that real quick because that is the key that I that's just mind just blows my mind is that they're going to conduct these searches as the pitchers come off the mound. Not when they first come into the game as a reliever or whatever, but after. So, oh, let me go out. Let me come in from the bullpen with my sticky stuff, say, I don't know, in my shoe, on my shoe, whatever it is. Um, and then I pitch. The sticky stuff disappears because I use it all up. Then the umpire comes over and miraculously is just going to find it, not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to devise a plan to search pitchers, you might want to do it when they first come out to the mound or guess what's going to happen. Not only that, a couple weeks are going to go by. Everybody's going to forget about this. The umps are going to start checking less and less and less, and then bing, bang, boom, your pitchers are going to go back to using the damn stuff if they're not secretly still using it right now. So anyway, back to this interview. Their wrist, uh, their, their glove wrist, uh, their forearm, or going going to another part of their uniform, uh, we could potentially look at that too. Yeah, you know, I don't think we're going to be checking uh, position players themselves unless we notice. Uh, it's really hard to tell, guys. So if a third baseman has his, his glove and all their gloves are dirty, Alex would probably know better than I, but all their gloves have stuff on it. And so unless we see them potentially loading up the ball, we're not going after the, the position players. That's not – we just want to try to clean the game up uh, the best we can. Uh, the catchers are a different story, though. The catchers uh, will not be allowed to have uh, pine tar on their shin guards or chest protectors, uh, their gloves. They're going to have to be clean because they're touching the, they're touching the pitched ball every pitch. Well, I think I think because this has been coming from the players, you know, a lot of position players uh, are complaining about the spin rate, and so it, it's an understanding. You know, it, it got a little out of control, and we're here to clean it up just a little bit. You know, so we're just going to monitor it. I think uh, it'll be good for the game. We're gonna we're gonna do this fairly evenly. We're not going to pick off certain individuals. You know, we're going to look for certain individuals. Uh, we're just going to let the game let the game happen. Check them as they come off the mound and make sure that they're clean. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, not going to check position players who might also be touching the ball with the sticky stuff on. And the catchers. Oh, if we don't see it, we're not really going to check them. But they could have it. You know, in their back pocket. They could have it underneath the inside of their shin guard. I mean. Uh, this is just so asinine, and we're seeing this now get to a point where already in one week it is an absolute abject disaster and abject failure, okay? Let's take, for example, Joe Girardi versus Max Scherzer. So, Joe Girardi not only asked the umps to check Max Scherzer once, but twice and thrice. Three times Joe Girardi asked the umpires to check Max Scherzer, and the umpires did do this, and they did check him three times. Take a listen to this exchange. 
of this. So Joe Girardi is asking the home plate umpire Tim Timmons and Alfonso Marquez to take a look at something. Joe must have seen something with one of the baseballs. Scherzer's looking over the dugout saying really but they must have seen something so Dave Martinez is coming out. Davey's upset. He is upset. Look at Joe. I love it. I love it. Well, Davey's yelling at Joe, and now Joe's not going to. Alfonso Marquez is saying something to Max Scherzer. It, it, the manager has a right to ask an umpire to check. So anyway, um, Joe Girardi ends up getting thrown out of this game. There were words exchanged. You see Max Scherzer come off when they're checking him for the third time, and he basically just throws his hands up, and he's like, here, take my glove, take my hat. And Joe Girardi's explanation was, I, I know him very well. I've, I've coached against him numerous times now, and this is the first time. It just looked very suspicious that he kept, like, three or, or four times, he kept rubbing his hand through his hair, and so I wanted him to check. I don't know why the Nats are so upset. This is Joe Girardi playing to the rules and basically trying to throw him off of his rhythm because guess what? I said it before. You can be checked up to 10 times a game. He was checked in this one, in this instance, three times. Um, and we don't know if all of them was via Joe Girardi because, you know, the ump needs to make their own decisions once in a while. Like if Joe Girardi says to check him, you don't just check him because Joe Girardi says it. You got to have some, you know, understanding that I'm checking him because I said so. Um, but interesting exchange. This thing did not go away because, uh, well, the Nationals end up winning the game and Mike Rizzo comes out talking hella smack about Joe Girardi and the con that he just pulled. Take a listen to Nationals GM Mike Rizzo not holding back in his uh, radio interview. I believe this was the following day after this took place. Came back off the injured list and was dealing, but then you have to deal with you know, not one, not two, but three trips to the mound. Do you think Girardi was playing games there? Of course he was. What are we, idiots? Of course he was. <laughs> I agree. It's embarrassing. Our partner, Eric It's embarrassing for Girardi. It's embarrassing for the Phillies. It's embarrassing for baseball. Yes, he was playing games, and, uh, hey, that's his right. Uh, you know, gamesmanship had nothing to do with uh, substances. He had no probable cause to uh, to ask for it. The ump shouldn't allow uh, have allowed it. Uh, but it happened, and you got to deal with it. This, this is the uh, this is what what we're going to have to deal with. And uh, and you know, uh, you think you're going to intimidate a Max Scherzer and and that type of thing. Uh, you know, it's it's just not going to happen. You can just you're just going to piss him off and make him and make him. Uh, uh, 
concentrate that much harder. Uh, you know, this is this is about breaking Max's rhythm and uh, and frustrating him and that type of thing. And it, it didn't work. Our bullpen pitched great. We got some timely hits and and we beat the Phillies. So we move on. We play him today again. So that's good. Well, our partner here, Eric Bickle, believed Joe Girardi after the game doesn't think it's gamesmanship. No, no, no. I think that factored in. Don't speak for me. I think it factored in. But I do believe him when he said. He just was flummoxed by him going to his head all the time. I think he tried to get him off his rhythm a little bit, but I think ultimately I agree with Mike, too. That backfires. I think you do that with other pitchers, but if you piss off Max Scherzer, that's going to go the other way on you. So I don't think that was necessarily his goal. That was his goal. Uh, he's a con artist. He 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 got you. He got you in the in the con. So uh, <laughs> you, you believe it, and uh, that's that's just the way, that's the way it is. He's been doing that for years on TV, and uh, that's. Uh, that's wow. So hold on. So You're that, not cool. a Joe Girardi fan at all. Doesn't sound no, like I it. No, I love Joe Girardi. I've seen him play since he was in high school in Peoria, Illinois. Scouted him in Northwestern. Uh, I know him well, but I, I know him well. That's you that's know him too well. Him. You know him too well, Riz. That's the problem. I know him. So there you have it. Shots fired. This is not the last time these teams will play. We'll see what comes of this. I would love to see these two down the stretch in a play-in game for the playoffs or even in a playoff series because things would get interesting. But this leads me back to my point. We're starting to see these umpires check players left and right. They're not happy about it. You had... Somebody on the A's, a reliever, came off the mound. They said they had to check him. He throws his hat off. He throws his glove off. And literally, he took his belt off. That's how frustrating this has become for these players. And, oh, yeah, Rob Manfred, uh, you, you want to bring in the younger generation uh, uh, of fans and younger people to watch the game of baseball? Well, then why are you making games longer? This is not something, this is not a rule that should be should have been implemented in the middle of the season. This is an absolute abject failure and a total buffoonery. Uh, it, it's a total just who is making these decisions? Honest to God. I, 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 we are in a serious state of turmoil in baseball, and I, I don't want to see baseball go down, take this downward spiral uh, to the, you know, they're basically... Uh, you know, Thelma and Louise about to, t- you know, just drive over the cliff and, and take a nosedive to their death. That is baseball. It is right now probably the third most popular sport in America, and it should not be that way, okay? you you Manny Ramirez, my brother told me a story. Manny Ramirez went into a sub shop of late recently. I think it was a sub shop or whatever, shop, pizza, whatever. And a guy's wearing a Red Sox hat or shirt or whatever it was, meaning he must be a Red Sox fan, right? And Manny Ramirez comes up to the guy and says, oh, man, that's really cool. I like your shirt or your hat or whatever it is. And the guy says, oh, thanks. No idea that it was Manny Ramirez. Had no idea. Now, granted, who knows what Manny Ramirez is looking like these days. He might look like, you know, totally out of shape and like a Bartolo Colon type. But how do you not know who Manny Ramirez is as a Red Sox fan? This is the state of baseball right now. Nobody knows these players. The Major League Baseball draft is going to take place in a few weeks after the College World Series. And guess what? Are people going to flock to bars like they do the NFL and NBA draft? Absolutely not. 
This, this is a very bad, bad, bad look for baseball. The games are ridiculously long. Nobody cares about the fundamentals anymore. How do you coach your kids in, in Little League Baseball when they're watching on TV and, and you have guys that they look up to making mistake after mistake after mistake? Something has to give. It starts at the top and has to trickle down. Rob Manfred has to go. I'm done with this man. I've I, There's too many instances in which I have to come on this show and I have to berate Rob Manfred. He is doing an absolutely redonkulously bad job. I, I mean, I'm at a, almost at a loss for words. I cannot believe that this man makes this much money, is this smart and this educated, and, and he goes to pro- probably comes to work and, and has Zoom meetings about this stuff with his staff and with board members and, and with, you know, the, the, the uh, MLB Players Association and, and, and whatnot. And literally, these are the rules and these are the thoughts that go through his mind. We're going to make, make – we, we have a problem. The games are too long. People don't want to stay at the stadium. People will come to the stadium and they'll leave by the fifth inning and nobody tunes in on television anymore because the major complaint is that the games are too long. So they've experimented with a pitch clock. They've used a pitch clock, never enforced. I don't even know if it's still a thing right now or if that's just a minor league thing or if that's even a thing at all. Um, they, you know, they, they do it now where you don't have to throw four pitches to walk somebody intentionally. You just, oh, you want to walk somebody? Okay, take your base. Tell the umpire we're walking them. Okay, take your base so you don't have to throw a pitch, which absolutely disgusts me because when you throw, when you have to actually pitch the balls and throw a pitch out to, to walk somebody, there's a possibility that the pitcher overthrows it, the wild pitch, runner can move up. There's a possibility they accidentally throw one right over the middle and you can just destroy the pitch. Um, there's so many possibilities. So you take that element of the game away, that skill level of the game, there are so many things that, that they're changing in baseball. The shift is ruining baseball. Just so many caveats and facets of the game that are going away and ruining the sport. So in a sport that's too long already, we're now making it longer by checking pitchers for sticky stuff after they come off the mound. And I'm sure Rob Manfred's going to say, well, if you look at the stats and the numbers and how long games are since we implemented this on Monday, games are are actually about the same amount of time or they're even less because, you know, no, the games are longer. You know why they're longer? Because now pitchers aren't using sticky stuff so they can't get players out and averages have actually risen um, a a few points. Um, So the games are actually extended and being... uh, you know, longer. Well, Rob Manfred, you know, I'll play devil's advocate and pretend like I'm Rob Manfred. And I'll say, well, um, the games are now more competitive. Okay. And so therefore, even though they're longer, they're fun. They're more fun to watch. So more people are tuning in and the ratings are actually going up. That's cockamamie. That is not what's happening. People are getting fed up. They're watching these pitchers throw their uniforms off because they're having to get checked. And it's just despicable and I'm over it, and I don't know how much longer. If the Yankees don't turn this around and get within striking distance, I mean, they're only a couple games back right now. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I can barely watch the games as it is. I, for the most part, put the Yankees on in the background while I'm playing MLB The Show or doing something else, but it is so hard to watch the game of baseball right now. You have guys coming out, Pete Rose's former players, like, Don Mattingly, who's a manager in this league, 
that are saying how hard of a game it is to watch. This is a bad look for Major League Baseball. Get Rob Manfred the hell out of office and bring somebody else in that can revolt against this new age baseball that is stats and analytics and get rid of, fire them all. Every front office uh, you know, team that's all these analytic guys, I want their names, their addresses. I want pictures. I want to know who these buffoons are, and I want to know if they've ever played baseball before because I guarantee you they have not. This is an absolute joke. The game is unwatchable. Hope you guys enjoyed that rant because that's all you've got for me today. I'm about done. Vanderbilt, NC State are locked in a tight one. It's 2-1. Fifth inning, bottom five, NC State's down one. They've got first and second with two outs. They just hit a little ground ball flare shot. Um, to short in the hole. He backhanded it and did not have a throw. Okay, so anyway, let's move on. Let's get back to the NBA, and let's talk about this Suns and Clippers series because I haven't touched on it yet. The big uh, storyline coming into this series, the Suns have not lost a playoff game yet. Number two, no Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers and no CP3. CP3 over the weekend got into like COVID protocols. Something happened. I don't know excuse me, exactly, but he missed game one. What did the Suns do? They went out and they beat the um, they beat the Clippers, and my man Devin Booker went out there and had a 40-point triple-double, an absolute beast, uh, Devin Booker, out of Kentucky. Just a great, great win. That was um, a 120-114 to win. Devin Booker just going absolutely bananas. Uh, he went off for 40 points. 13 rebounds, 11 assists, and they get the job done. Um, Sands, Chris Paul, and Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers. Okay, so that was game one. Game two ended in, I don't know that I've ever seen a game end this way. I mean, I know there, it happened with Tyson Chandler a few years back, but they probably need to change the goaltending rules on an out-of-bounds play. But um, with this game uh, locked up, it was 103-102, Suns ball. They were down, out-of-bounds play, under the basket. And take a listen to what happened. This is how the Phoenix Suns stayed undefeated in the playoffs in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. Down with that big body in front of you. Crowder looking, throws it, alley of all! puts it down! He puts it down! And they're trying to say goaltending, but that's a live basketball. He can finish it. Right. There is no goaltending on an inbound pass. Yeah, there you have it. No goaltending on an inbounds pass. I don't know. That's tough. Uh, Zubac, Zubac got... Um, he, he got screened out. Nobody called it out, so he was late getting over. Aiton went up, and I forget who threw the inbounds pass. Jay Crowder or, or somebody threw the inbounds pass, and Aiton just dunked it. There was, like, less than a second on the clock. He dunked it in, and, they, you know, I don't know. that Maybe maybe they should revisit this, this rule on an inbounds play because it's kind of a cheap one, but really, really well-done job from um, 
from 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 the Phoenix Suns and, and Monty Williams to draw that one up. Just absolute stunner. If you haven't seen the video of Stephen A. Smith and Michael Wilbon getting ready for the post game, they're standing up in the rafters, like uh, the middle section, about to go live on ESPN after the game. And literally, both of them, the camera pans to them as that play happens. Both of them are literally jaws dropped and stunned, like just stunned, as was I watching that, just redonkulous. So that gave the Suns a 2-0 series lead. And then last night, we had um, Game 3. So in Game 3, the Phoenix Suns got Chris Paul back, so that was a big big boost for them, already up 2-0 in the series. And getting Chris Paul back, you'd think they have the upper hand, but no Kawhi Leonard, so no Kawhi Leonard. Still, it's it's a knee sprain or you know knee inflammation for Kawhi Leonard, so he's still out. They showed him up in in the box there, up in the rafters with his kids and whatnot, watching the game in street clothes. Well, this one was close. It was back and forth, and eventually, the. Clippers pulled away. Huge shot, biggest shot of the game probably that really gave it to the Clippers. End of the third quarter, uh, uh, Paul George, who had been practicing like half-court shots uh, pregame, there's video of that, he banked in an inbound shot from like, you know, almost half-court, and that really probably, I think that put it back up 11, and then they got up by like 16 late, um, and they they ran away with it. I don't even have, the, the final score actually was... Um, this game was actually on, uh, yeah, Thursday, yesterday. Yeah, the final score, they won by 14, 106 to 92. Shockingly, so Devin Booker had to wear a face mask. He got hit in the face. He broke his nose or, or hurt it badly um, in game two. So he was wearing a face mask. I don't know if that really factored in, but him and uh, Chris Paul were awful in this game. They combined for just 30 points. Devin Booker shot five for 21 had five rebounds, five assists, and turned it over four times. Chris Paul, he was five of 19 for 15 points, two rebounds, 12 assists, but they both had a minus 15, um, so not good. And then on the Clippers side, Paul George had his, like I think, 16th straight 20-point game. Let me pull that up exactly what it was. Um, let me see. Uh, I thought I had it here. Hold on. Let me pull it back up because it's ridiculous. He's he's behind. Uh, I think he's tied a couple guys, but let me see here. Paul George. And we give Paul George a, a lot of flack for, for being bad, but he's been great for them without Kawhi Leonard. Um, and, of course, the Clippers improved to 9-1 and one in games 3 through 7 this postseason um, following last night's win. Yeah, 0 for 6 in games 1 and 2. They fell down 0-2 in their first two first three series now. And they've come back from down 0-2 to win the next two, and we'll see if they can win game four. But, um, what? I'm sorry. This is all live and whatnot right now. I just got the most bizarre notification on my phone of all time. It says, breaking. This is from NBC News. The UFO report has landed. And the government can't explain 143 of 144 mysterious flying objects. Okay, so I don't know what's going on. I at first read that and thought that, like, there is legitimately 
a UFO that has landed on Earth somewhere in this country and, like, aliens are getting off of this thing. So I have to look into that. That just threw me for a loop. So hold on. Let's get back to this. That was bizarre. Um, Yeah, so the Clippers just, I don't know what they're drinking in games one and two, but they need to lay off and they need to get some more, you know, fluids and and, and, uh, electrolytes in their system because games three for seven, whatever they're doing in in those four games, they need to continue to do it because it's just phenomenal. Um, Where was it? Let me see the Paul George thing, right? Yes. um, The Clippers, they also have five double-digit wins when trailing in a series this postseason, which is tied with the 2005 Pistons for the most in a single playoff run in NBA history. And congratulations to the Los Angeles Clippers Okay, they're the talk of the town, not the Los Angeles Lakers. This is their first ever win in a conference finals. So this Game 3 win, first ever in the conference finals for the L.A. Clippers. I thought that was a typo. Did not realize the Clippers have never in their franchise's history made it to the conference finals. I know they're somewhat of a newer team. And here you have the final stat I was looking for. Yes, Paul George last night had his 16th consecutive 20-point game to begin the playoffs um, he's the fourth player in the last 20 seasons with a 20-point streak that long to begin the playoffs, joining Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, and Kevin Durant, um, who's done it twice in 2012 and 2018. So he's dealing right now. Um, I still think the Suns will win this series probably, and my brother is going to be $500 richer because he smartly took one of his free $100 bets and threw it on the Suns in round one to uh, advance to the conference, I mean to the NBA Finals. So. Good for him for taking that pick. So this should be a wild finish in this series, and I can't wait. Both series are shaping up to be to be very good. Okay, sticking in NBA, in the NBA, some other news. Uh, Lakers, the Lakers' Alex Caruso was arrested for possession of marijuana and other drug paraphernalia at none other than his alma mater, Texas A&M University. He ended up paying a fine and was released. Um, he will be a free agent this summer, so we'll see if he if this has any effect on him re-signing with the Lakers or going elsewhere. I think he's a really good fit for the Lakers, an undrafted player who fits in well with um, you know the backup unit with LeBron and, and whatnot there. And then lastly, uh, let's talk a little draft lottery. Honestly, no idea that this was on television this week until I got a notification on my phone from ESPN that it was draft lottery time. I guess because the Knicks were actually somewhat good this year, they don't factor into the lottery, and same with the Nets, so I don't have a team to make fun of or to root for. Um, But the Pistons ended up with the number one overall pick. The Rockets, Cavs, and Raptors rounded out the top four in that order, and um, it's the second time that the uh, Pistons received the first pick, I believe. Um, Let's see. I thought, yes, the second time. Um, and there were some other interesting nuggets. Um, the Magic kind of got screwed. They had somewhat of the best odds. A couple teams had the best odds at 14% to get the number one overall pick, and the Magic fell down. And then Minnesota and Golden State. Golden State got the seven pick from Minnesota. If it was a top three pick, Minnesota would have kept it. But this happened to do with the trade between uh, Minnesota and Golden State for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, so interesting enough there. Don't want to harp too much on that. Then you have Trey Young dropping 48 in game one against the Bucks in Milwaukee, giving the Bucks their first loss 
um, at home this postseason. So now the 2021 Atlanta Hawks have won game one on the road in all three series this season, uh, this postseason. That's the first time that's been done since uh, I think the early 90s or something. I forget. Maybe the Knicks did it or, or, some, or the Pacers or somebody. I remember reading that. Uh, just Trey Young, ridiculous. He had his whole little shimmy three that he made, um, throwing off the glass uh, purposefully um, to Ali Upit to John Collins for some posterized dunks. Just, I mean, a young team that's really playing lights out. They won this game 116-113 to 113 as center fielder for NC State makes a beautiful catch on the, on the run that definitely saves some extra bases, possibly a run. I don't know if anyone was on base or not. And speaking of baseball, I actually just saw the Mets-Phillies pop up on the bottom of the screen. Aaron Nola absolutely dealing through two and a third, seven strikeouts, just one hit for my fantasy team. He had a couple skid, skittish uh, performances of late, but back on track against the Mets. But speaking of baseball and the New York Mets, what Jacob deGrom is doing is otherworldly. This man is not 100%. He gave up one hit through five innings in their seven-inning doubleheader the other day, dropping his ERA to .50, okay? Um, just ridiculous. Bob Gibson is the gold standard in 1968 for ERAs, and that man was throwing 12 innings, um, you know, 12 inning games followed by 13 inning games. Uh, just ridiculous. And... I mean, his gold standard for that season was 1.12. He had an ERA of 1.12. But the amount of innings that Bob Gibson was throwing and the era in which he was throwing, there was no sticky stuff. There was no sabermetrics. There was no shifting to make it harder to hit. There was no launch angle where guys are striking out left and right. But what Jacob deGrom is doing with a .50 ERA, it's, it's disgusting. And not only that, he's a cheat code in MLB The Show. When someone plays with Jacob deGrom, you're going to lose. I mean, or you're going to win if you're using him. It's ridiculous. A base hit brings the score, brings the run around. Vanderbilt takes a 3-1 lead here in the sixth inning. Getting some revenge there on uh, the Wolfpack is Vanderbilt. I know Skip Bayless will be happy as a Vandy alum. So, yeah, anyway, uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. But, yes, Giannis also in this game. Um, back to the basketball game in game one. Giannis had 34, 12, and 9. Usually a guy that doesn't really have a lot of assist numbers did pretty good there, uh, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, Hawks, man, they're going to be a tough out. I actually threw more money on the Bucks tonight because I do not think the Bucks will go down 0-2, especially this game being at home again. I'm pretty confident. Probably would have been okay putting well over uh, $100 or about $100 on this game or more. Uh, that's how confident I am in the Bucks, but they did another odd boost. It's 25 at plus 100 because they're heavily favored in this game. It's like minus seven. So actually, I don't even think the money line is going to be worth it. You'd have to really shell out some some dough to win anything. So the play here is the Bucks, you know, at the plus 100, 25 bucks, get my money back from the other night. Or I would honestly probably take the Hawks at plus seven. But again, this could be one of those trap games. So Gun to my head, I would I would throw my money on the Bucks uh, to to win this game fairly handily. I, I'm confident in saying that, but not confident enough, I guess, to throw even more money on it. But you guys get the idea. All right, let's see where we're at here. Okay, let's get into hockey a little bit. The Islanders have forced a game seven 
tonight at 8 p.m. So by the time you listen to this, by the time it's published, uh, the, the game will, will be probably uh, just hours, a couple hours away. Um, but the Islanders scored just 68 seconds into overtime, trailing 2-1 to one entering the third. They get it done. They were down by as many as two goals in the third period. They come back. Um, and sadly, this could be the final game in Nassau Coliseum should they not advance to the Stanley Cup final. As everybody, I'm sure, knows, they will be moving to the U, uh, U, UBS Arena in Elmont, New York next season. Um, the game is on tonight. The Lightning are surprisingly heavily favored. There is some injury concern for the Lightning. This is a big one. Winger Nikita Kucherov exited less than three minutes into the game and did not return. You have to wonder if that played a role in, in them losing this game. Um, it's an apparent injury of some sort. We're not sure. As of right now, literally as of an hour ago, there has been no update on whether or not he will play tonight in Game 7. But I can tell you that as of this morning, he did not participate in their optional skate. So there is cause for concern. I would list him as less than game time decision. I'd say probably doubtful right now. Um, and if he does not play, I'm giving the advantage Islanders. So I would be willing to toss money on the Islanders right now because if they announce him as out, then the line's going to move. And right now you could get the Islanders at like plus 140-something. And the Lightning are minus 175. So you know what? Maybe I will throw some money on the Islanders. I know they're, you know, tough matchup. It's on the road. But I believe in the Isles. They can do it, man. They they can do it. Um, and then in the Western Conference side of, or excuse me, there's no Western Conference in, in hockey now. It's the Stanley Cup semifinals. They're calling it all around. Uh, the Canadians beat the Golden Knights 3-2 to two in overtime of Game 6 to advance to their uh, first Stanley Cup final in 28 years, okay? Um, Montreal is the third team in the expansion era since 1968 to reach the Cup final with the worst record in the playoff field. They joined the 2017 Predators and 2010 Flyers. They entered, yeah, that that that's that's kind of mind-blowing, actually, so... I don't even I don't even know were they the worst uh were they the highest or lowest seeded team in this field or highest seeded team in this field I don't know but that is shocking I did not know that um there was one other thing about the hockey that I wanted to talk about that was oh pretty wild uh, let's see no where was it um as far as a Canadian team goes in terms of here we go it's been three thousand six hundred and eighty five days. Since, uh, excuse me, 84 days, because this was yesterday, since a Canadian team clinched a spot in the Stanley Cup final. So it's been 28 years for the Canadians. I was one years old when they made it to the Stanley Cup final the last time. The last time a Canadian team made it to the finals of the Stanley Cup was 1994, okay? That is mind-blowing. You had the 2011 Canucks, um... Canadian teams in Stanley Cup final since, oh, since 1994. 1994 wasn't the last time. Okay, it's, so, yeah, I can't do math. 3,684 days. The last Canadian team to win the Cup was the Canadians in, in 1993. That's shocking to me when you think about how good, you know, Canadians are at, at hockey. But 
I guess, you know, it's just things haven't lined up. You had the 94 Canucks. They lost in seven. The nine, uh, 2004 Flames lost in seven. 06 Oilers lost in seven. 07 Senators lost in five. And the 2011 Canucks lost in seven. Hey, if history repeats, is bound to repeat itself, that means the Canadians are going to lose in seven games. So, yes, hockey is lit right now, and I'm all for it um, because I am rooting Islanders tonight, baby. Excuse me. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. I went really long today. I just want to talk about real quick, you've got, uh, you had last night, you had the Cubs combining for their first uh, combined no-hitter in franchise history, 17th overall. Zach Davies took a, and three relievers, Combined for the no-hitter, he took it into the sixth inning through six innings and then got a pinch hit for in the seventh. It was a 4 nothing win. He threw 94 pitches, actually walked two of the first four batters of this game before, um, excuse me, uh, before his pitching coach, Tommy Hadovy, um came out, calmed him down, settled him down, and then he, you know, proceeded to just shut the door. Had a nasty changeup, got Bellinger a couple times, and then Kimbrell came on to close it out, striking out the side. And actually, Craig Kimbrell had something to say after the game that I thought was quite funny. He did not know how many um, that, excuse me, he did not know that they threw a no-hitter until after the game. Uh, it feels great. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea um, until the last out and everybody came running out. Um, I was just locked into the game and uh, I was just going out there to do my job. Yeah, probably worked out uh, for the better because he was lights out. If he knew it was a no-hitter situation, he might have uh, lost it. But they actually combined to walk eight batters. I wonder if that's a record for a no-hitter. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, the last combined no-hitter was in 2019, August 3rd, when the Astros beat the Mariners 9-0. They used four pitchers to do it. And thus far this season, um, we've tied the record for most no-hitters in baseball. Um, it marked the seventh nine-inning no-hitter of the 2021 season. If you go back, there was apparently a season where there was eight in like 1888 or 1898 or something like that. But does that really count? Probably not. Um, so one more to officially get the record. But yeah, it's crazy. There's been you had um, you had let's see, um, Joe Musgrove, Carlos Rodon threw no hitters in April. John Means, Wade Miley, Spencer Turnbull, and Corey Kluber threw no nos in May. And then you had Madison Bumgarner who threw a seven inning no hitter, which was not recognized by baseball. All, they only recognized nine inning no hitters. Another stupid rule. All right, real quick, let's stick with baseball uh, just for a second. Yankees and Red Sox getting set tonight for a uh, a big-time, you know, three-game series in the Bronx. Um, Yankees climbing in the standings. They're just four games back of the Rays, three-and-a-half back of the Red Sox, so I'm looking forward to this. Did not have a good go of things in their last three-game series against the Red Sox a few weeks ago, so uh, I'm looking forward to this, and... Eerily, weirdly enough, the Yankees somehow this year, as bad as they've been, they somehow uh, have a knack for turning triple plays. Grounded to third. There's one. There's two. There it is. It's a triple play. They got a triple play to get out of the jam. I didn't expect a triple play. That is awesome. 
chopped slowly. Oh, there's a situation at third. The throw is to first. Now they'll throw to second. Runners are hung up. They're going to come home with the throw. They have Simeon in a rundown. He's tagged out. Throw to third. It's a triple play. They pulled a triple play. Second one of the year, and this one falls under the heading of Funky. This could be one, two, on the first. It's a triple play. They've done it again. Three times a charm, and the Yankees win two to one. Can you believe it? Honestly, no, I cannot believe it. Three times in one season. I don't have the stat up, but I think the last time that happened was in like 2016 or something. It doesn't happen very often. But, I mean, wow, just wow. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that three-game set. It should be fun. It should be interesting. Last couple nuggets uh, I want to get to. The Celtics have officially hired Ime Udoka. He was an assistant with the Brooklyn Nets this past season. Um, he comes from uh, Greg Popovich's system. He played in the league um, with the Spurs, and and he won a championship as an assistant, et cetera, et cetera. The... Uh, Pacers have hired back Rick Carlisle. Of course, he got uh, he was coach of the Pacers way back when. And today, just announced, the Mavs are hiring Jason Kidd, which for some reason, I don't know why I didn't think of this. This is a great move. Jason Kidd, of course, won a championship there in 20, what was it, 2010, 2011, um, with the Mavs when they beat that stacked uh, Miami Heat team with LeBron, uh, Bosh, and Wade. Um, so he's familiar there. He, he's friends with Dirk and um, Mark Cuban, so I think that's a really good hire there. And now we can get into the juiciness that is Kevin Durant, Scottie Pippen beefing. Okay, so let me pull up the quote. I prefaced this this morning or earlier in this episode. Some apparently interview for GQ magazine and Scottie Pippen goes high and tight on Kevin Durant for seemingly no reason. Here's what Scottie Pippen had to say. He said, has he surpassed LeBron? No. He tried to beat the Milwaukee Bucks instead of utilizing his team. LeBron James would have figured out how to beat them. KD is a shooter, a scorer, but he doesn't have what LeBron has. Okay, that's, that's Scottie Pippen via GQ. And I don't want to spend too much time. We're an hour and a half into this podcast, probably longest I've had in months. All right, Scottie Pippen. Well... If you guys remember back to The Last Dance, which clearly did not paint Scottie Pippen in a good light, he basically sat out, wasn't really injured, and didn't want to play for his team. Kevin Durant, yes, he's a scorer and a shooter, something LeBron James is not. He can't score like, like, like Kevin Durant can. Nobody can, okay? Well, the fact that he's trying to say he didn't win, like utilize his team and LeBron would have found a way to win... That is not true. LeBron won two championships, not because he utilized his teammates, because they basically took over and won the game, not because of LeBron, because of the lack of LeBron. For example, Ray Allen's shot against the Spurs that forced the game seven, okay? That was a kickout from Bosh. LeBron did nothing, okay? LeBron was probably the one that bricked the shot that caused Bosh to have to kick it out to Ray Allen. All right. Number two, the other championship, the sole championship that he brought to Cleveland was Kyrie Irving making the shot. Okay. 
I don't care that he's a two-time finals MVP and this, that, and the other thing. They're not the same player. And so for that reason, I just I don't know where this came from. Um, so I'm a little surprised by this. And um, <laughs> it didn't take long for Kevin Durant, who was the biggest social media troll, to to uh, to basically murder Scottie Pippen in, in, in internet terminology. This was Kevin Durant's response. Didn't the great Scottie Pippen refuse to go in the game for the last second shot because he was in his feelings? His coach drew up the play for a better shooter. It's all right there in the last dance. Then he goes on to say, um, this guy, Scott, also wanted to enjoy his summer so he chose to rehab during the season. LOL. Yo, Scotty Pippen. They followed Phil, not you. So Kevin Durant basically just murdered Scotty Pippen. So I have no idea where Scotty Pippen gets off coming coming at Kevin Durant and talking all this smack. But Kevin Durant put the team on his back. He couldn't utilize his team because Joe Harris wasn't making a shot. James Harden, he passed him the ball, and James Harden said, hot potato, you take the last second shot. I don't want it. So just, wow. And everybody on radio is in agreement that Scotty was wrong, shouldn't have said anything, and I think that they're in agreement as well. I don't think I heard it, that basically Kevin Durant had, it was locked and loaded from the last dance. It did not paint him in a good light, Scotty, and Kevin Durant just used what was right there for the taking. So, yowzer. And then how about Kevin Durant showing up last night at the New York Liberty game in, in Barclays Center? I think that's super classy, supporting, um, you know, the ladies. Could have just decided to hide and not show his face after losing in the second round of the playoffs, but no, he showed his face. Okay, next up, let's talk real quick. Wimbledon starts Monday, and that runs through July 11th, okay? Then you have a College World Series. Like I said, I'm watching Vanderbilt NC State. Well, there's only one reason that um, Vanderbilt is in the position they're in. They were an elimination game against Stanford, and they got themselves a walk-off. Take a listen. Oh, he sailed it over his head. The Cardinal are going to lose on a wild pitch from Beck. Spencer Jones scores. Vanderbilt alive. They win it 6-5. What happened? Oh, heartbreak for Brendan Beck and Stanford. And the Commodores get two in the bottom of the ninth to win. Yep, so you heard it right there. The Commodores of Vanderbilt, they get the walk-off on a curveball that sailed so high over the backstop, and the run came in to win it. Um, I've been a part of some brutal losses in my life, but nothing as bad as that on that kind of stage, so that's got to be rough. And that's where I Vanderbilt is still alive, and they're here in the sixth inning looking like they're going to win this game. Uh, Kumar Rocker is on the hill. He's got 108 pitches through uh, five and two-thirds innings, and as long as he doesn't give up a home run here, I think they're in good shape. Oh, we almost hit the batter on a, on a curveball there. But anyway, um, let's see. Oh, NC State is actually battling COVID issues in this game right now. So some th- this game was delayed 
Apparently, uh, starting second baseman JT Jarrett and bullpen ace Evan Justice are out um, due to COVID-related issues. A source described Jarrett as no longer with the team, while Justice was still in Omaha but placed in quarantine. Um, so we'll see what comes of this. The game was supposed to start at 2, but it was pushed back to 3. Finally, on this date in sports history, let's take it back to June 25th, 1997, when the Spurs selected Tim Duncan out of Wake Forest with the first pick in the draft. And, of course, two years later, to the day, the Spurs would win their first NBA championship, defeating the Knicks 78-77 in Game 5 of the Finals. Who knew that would be the last time the Knicks would be relevant? Um, wow. Long time ago. Um, and then finally, I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. That's all I have for you. I will be entertained th thoroughly tomorrow. I will be on the golf course with my brothers and my sister-in-law. Uh, my brothers are going at each other, taking shots on the Glorious House of Gains podcast, etc., they're going to be betting each other, each hole, like different things, prop bets, this, that, the other thing. My brother thinks that my other brother, who hasn't played golf in years, uh, won't shoot under 125, and my brother Vin says he will, so it should be fun. My brother came over today to pick up his clubs that haven't been cleaned in, in, a, in years. I had to clean them off for him while he ran to the store to buy golf shoes. He was going to go to the mall to buy an outfit. Uh, this thing, this should just be hysterical, uh, just hilarious. And then on top of that, my brother's girlfriend from London will be joining us for these escapades just to watch. So it's going to be entertaining all around. He's going to be trying to impress his girl. Uh, my brothers trying are going to be trying to compete. You know, this is going to be hilarious. And meanwhile, I'm just going to kick back and basically destroy both of them. Um, so free entertainment for me, and I can't wait. So without further ado, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode 142 of This Week in Sports. Um, enjoy the weekend. Take care. Oh, uh, last final bit. For those involved with that uh, collapse in Miami uh, uh, in Surfside with, with that condo, condo complex, oh, my God. Um, I wish everybody the best of luck there. Um, if you have family members or, or loved ones that are missing, um, I'll be praying for you and thinking about you. But that was a scary scene. It looked like a third world country when they bomb uh, a city and the buildings just fall or collapse. Like, it, it's insane what happened there. Um, I'm interested to know, because buildings don't just collapse, what the hell happened? Was there a sinkhole? Was there bad inspection over the years where nobody um, decided to fix the building was it a money issue? Who knows? As Kumar Rocker strikes out the final uh, batter in the sixth inning. So Vandy up 3-2-1 going into the seventh inning. Okay, that's enough from me. With that being said, guys, take care. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the weather. This is the Pody officially signing off. I'll see everybody next week. Enjoy.